out there. Nobody's passing. Keep driving, everybody. Grab, grab, grab. Nobody's passing. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Average Cheese. I'm Dale Lobo, alongside my co-host and longtime friend Todd Widener, and we are Average Cheese. We offer a unique perspective and entertaining conversation on what we love to talk about more than anything, the 13-time world champion Green Bay Packers. You can talk to us or find us on Twitter at AVGCheese, and you can also get a hold of us at email at AVGCheese at gmail.com. we got a great show planned for today with a lot to talk about, so sit back, crack a cold one, and join us. So welcome to Episode 6 of the Average Cheese Podcast. Episode six is going to be about coaches. I haven't seen too many uh, podcasts or anybody talking about the coaching staff of the Packers, and I really like the idea we're going to go with today. We're also going to uh, break up our segments into what we call slices and blocks, which I love. Yeah. It's average cheese. Yeah, so accordingly. (laughs) Accordingly, the small pieces will be slices, and then the bigger segments will be called blocks from now on. I hope I can remember that. Perfect. Also, shout out to our 56 followers on Twitter. Um, and I'm not sure who our uh, listeners are in Vermont and, oh man, they're Ohio. We've got a bunch of new listeners recently. Nice. So that's Good. pretty exciting. If you are listening right now and you send me an email, the first person to send me an email at averagecheese at gmail.com, I will send you a medium. It's the only size I have, a medium <laughs> average cheese. <laughs> <laughs> t-shirt it got Which, left consequently over. consequently medium would be average yes yeah perfect that is perfect yeah. so send yeah. me an email at average at gmail.com and i will send this in the mail this medium t-shirt in the mail to you today average t-shirt it will be an average t-shirt and if you don't fit in this medium well give it to somebody else right anyway awesome so here goes slices this the small segments yeah. Uh, recently, the Packers told season ticket holders that we may not have games in 2020. Want to comment on that first? Yeah, I'm not sure how they're going to do that. I read something too, like they're, you know, as far as like the seat availability, like they're going to somehow refund people. I'm not sure how that's all going to work. Exactly. Right. Um, because if you give up your season tickets for this year, right. I assume you'd get them back. Yeah, and even if they do the, or how are they going to choose? They're going to do like a lottery. For people, you know, if they do have like, if they cut the stadium capacity into half, who's going to get those seats then if they do a lottery? I, I assume it would be a lottery or something. Yeah, something, right? Yeah. I really don't know how they'll do that. That's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what the Packers come up with. Honestly, I don't think they'll be fans. I mean, that's what they should do at this point. Yeah, I don't know. I go back and forth on that because baseball is trying to fire up, right? And they're, right. they've had their scrimmages and stuff in front of no one. It's kind of interesting to listen to the crack of the bat, to be honest. It was pretty cool. But, right, I don't know that more – how many people could you fit in a stadium? Yeah. Do you want that few? You know what I mean? If you have 15,000 people in the stands. Hard to say. Know. I don't know. I, I mean, they would probably – I mean, the way that the virus is kind of being spread around right now, I, I would just think that the best choice would probably be no fans at this point. Right. What I don't understand, though, is so they did a social media survey – 
1,200 respondents. Why wouldn't the Packers just send a, a survey out to everyone and every Packers right. season ticket holder and find out what their, what their thoughts are and start a database <laughs> on it? You know, like, right. okay, you're not going to come in. Then we know that we don't have to worry about you and we'll look, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, start to figure it out. It says 50, almost 55% that said they would not attend games in person this year. But that could be too. Is like, I wonder if the decision is, is that Roger Goodell or is that by organization by organization? I, I would assume it comes from the NFL. You whether would or not think there's so. going to be fans or not. Right. Or what, what the restrictions are going to be and all that other kind of stuff. So. And I don't want to get into this too far because we talked about this in episode three, but it says, <clears> I'm reading this article on PackerNews.com. It says 9.6% of the people who were you know, in this survey said that they would not attend games because of the Black National Anthem being played before it or the kneeling of players. That was 10% of the people who said they weren't going to attend was because of that. And I don't wow. want to go down that road, but what the fuck? Yeah. Imagine if you're at a, a hockey game in Canada and they played the Canadian National Anthem. Would you not go? I mean, I know right. it's not the same thing, but really, what's the fucking difference? You know what I right. mean? Like, okay, they sing, lift every voice and sing. It's not disrespectful to anybody. It's, it's a song. It's a song that's uplifting, right? Right, right. They're not going to sing it instead of the national anthem. It would be right. in addition to. Yeah, people just got to get, get with the times. Exactly. Give up your fucking season tickets because then I'll move up. If 10% of you move up, I'll be <laughs> like 35,000. So that's true. Get to it, people. Yeah. It's perfectly fine with me if you don't come back. So let's move on because I don't want to get too fired up about that kind of stuff. But I don't know if there'll be fans anyway, so I don't know that it really matters for this year. Aaron Jones playing his PS4 while his girlfriend's in labor. He took a lot of shit for that on social yeah. media. He sure did. It, it went pretty viral pretty quick. I just think, I mean, I think what you do under your roof and your personal relationships are your business. And maybe that's cool between he and his girlfriend. And if, and that's actually none of our business. Gotta be a little smarter about posting the picture out there. My sense is that he probably at this point with the people uh, commenting on it and stuff like that, my, my guess is that he's probably a little bit regretful of <laughs> Probably would want to want to do that one over, but yes. he's got to be a little smarter about that. So I totally agree with you. It is a personal thing, right? I mean, I was in the room with both of my kids when they were born. If my ex-wife or my wife at the time would have said, you don't need to be in here, I would have asked her twice and made sure she really meant that before right. I left. Right. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, that's a woman thing, right? It's the woman's decision. If they sure. don't, whatever they're, they're comfortable there. with. Exactly. So. And I was way north of the Mason Dixon line. Cause I did not want to see any of that stuff coming out. So <laughs> <laughs> I really was just a spectator um, way above the action. It's a personal thing until you put it on social media and then nothing is personal. Everything is fair game. Once you post a picture anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And Aaron Jones, from, from all that I've seen on social media and in the media, on TV, he's a fucking great guy. Yeah, he's super likable. Yeah. Super likable, man. People beat up on him, but whatever. I mean, yeah. go, do your business. thing, Aaron Jones. But expect backlash when you put something on social yeah. media. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then to finish off the, the Packer kind of uh, slices are uh, Kamal Martin signed. It's good to see. Four yeah. years, three, $3.5 million. Again, they're all slotted, so there isn't, there isn't a whole lot of variation. You know, the farther you get down the list, the less money you make. 
I know we already talked about him and stuff like that, but um, I mean, the more I kind of like started looking at him closer and seeing, you know, the depth chart and everything, I mean, he actually has a legitimate shot. I mean, he's athletically on paper. He's, he's a better choice than the other two. In, in episode one, that's what I said. I said, I think he is, uh, he's a definite contender to start. He seems Over. like he's more of a straight line guy, which makes yeah. me a little bit nervous. But Bur- Burks and Summers have already, I mean, we're not going to see the, all of a sudden they're going to have these breakout years. Right. Their breakout years are behind them. They're done. Right. So they're, they're merely just pieces uh, on the chessboard right now. But somebody like, you know, Kamal Martin, who has a lot of upside to him, we'll see. Yeah, Ty Summers is that guy who, you know, beats up on guys in the preseason who are going to be bagging groceries in three weeks. Yeah. I mean, he's a decent – he's a good preseason player. But, you know, they, he didn't see the field. Norrin Burks never saw the field. So, Kamal Martin, hopefully he's better than those two clowns because right. we're in trouble if we have nothing. We've talked about this multiple times. If Kirksey gets hurt, we literally have nothing. We end up with yep. a safety at linebacker, I think. Raven Green or something ends up playing linebacker. Or some yeah. shit like that. Somebody. Somebody's <laughs> going to be in, in there because Oren Burks, I don't know what his deal is. Hurt his vagina or something one year and he can't get better. Patrick Mahomes signed that big contract, which people freaked out about. Yep. Ten years, almost a, a half a billion dollars with a B. Which is 503. Yeah. His total yeah. compensation yeah. could be 503 with incentives. I was, I've been listening a lot to Andrew Brandt who used to be in the Packer organization, and I follow him on Twitter. He said that he signed Brett Favre to a 10-year deal hmm. in Green Bay. Now, they didn't finish the 10 years, right? but he also signed a 10-year deal with a player. And then I saw him on another podcast or another video show where he was saying that this is a very team-friendly deal. And you wouldn't think that, right? It's a half a billion dollars doesn't sound like a team-friendly deal. I'm gonna, I don't want to go through the entire contract, but I just want to kind of point some stuff out. His salary in 2020 is less than $11 million. That's nothing. Yeah, for a quarterback. You know who makes $21 million right now, this year? Ryan Tannehill, $21 million. Nick Foles is, I think, averages seven million over the three years of his bear contract. Is Mahomes more valuable than Nick Foles and Ryan Tannehill? Yeah, yeah. way more valuable. Over the next three years, he goes eleven million, twenty-two million, twenty-nine million, and then the year after that is forty million. Holy cow! When you average those out, though, when you average out his first three years, it's it's only twenty-one million. That's less than a lot of guys. There are a lot yeah. of quarterbacks. There are, I think, 11 quarterbacks in the NFL making over $30 million a year, including our Aaron Rodgers. Right. So for the next three years, the average, it, he's making peanuts, really. Right. right. The year that they're going to have to restructure is before the 2027 season. In that 2027 season, he's supposed to make almost 60 mil. Whoa. Yeah. So that should make up for lost time. Yes, that, that's the year that they will redo his contract for sure. Because then the rest of the years, like that year is like a weird year because of the roster bonus being so high. He makes almost $50 million in roster bonus just to make the team. His salary is not high. It's the roster bonus that he gets. Roster bonus every year is the majority of his salary. Yeah, only in 2031, the last year of his contract, is his salary huge. It's $38 million. So he got the same agent as Bobby Bonilla? 
<laughs> right? I mean, I, funny you say that because, you know, they have a Bobby Bonilla day. I know. I saw it on uh, social media. I was like, yeah. of course. July guy, 6th man. or whatever. It's like we just had it. Bobby Bonilla day. They should go and interview him on, on Bobby Bonilla day. Yeah. You know what I mean? They should go like, where's Bobby Bonilla today? And just like go knock on his door and be yeah. like, dude, what, what are you up to? to you know, Comes out you, know you know what day it is, right, Bobby? <laughs> we all do. Like, it's your what day. Are you, what do you got planned? What's going on? It's funny you say that because I literally was saying we should have a Patrick Mahomes day then. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah his, his contract is bananas. And there's no yeah. player out. Like, it's all team-driven. And, you know, in the NFL, nothing is guaranteed. So they could cut him at any time. Now, they wouldn't cut him, but they will definitely renegotiate before that yeah. $60 million number. I'm sure. Yeah, a lot a lot can happen between now and then. And Andrew Brandt, again, who signed Brett Favre to a 10-year deal, said that this is a huge deal for the Chiefs. I like, it's, it's a better deal for the team than it is for him, which is really hard to say, you know, when you look at those numbers. Yeah, because the numbers just jump right off the paper at you. Right, but as the you know. salary cap rises, now I don't know, he, Andrew Brandt was talking about how, you know, if it rises to 400 million, Christ, if it rises to 400 million, <laughs> yeah. it's nothing. That contract is nothing. Will quarterbacks be making in the 40 million range? Yeah. Real soon. Wow. I mean, Dak Prescott's um, tender that he has to either sign or don't sign, you know, the, the franchise tag is $31.8 million right now, today. So if he doesn't sign that, then they have to figure something out. Yeah. So $40 million contracts are not far away. They're probably three or four years off. So when you look yeah. at it over 10 years, Mahomes is probably underpaid at some point, which yeah. is pretty awesome. Good for him. Yeah. He's a great player. He's great for the league. Yeah, I love watching He's super excited. He's great to watch. He deserved the money. On less than positive note... <laughs> Deshaun Jackson also in, in the media for saying some dumb shit. Actually, he didn't say dumb shit. He posted something on Instagram, yeah, which is the same, almost the same as open mouth insert foot. Yeah, uh, said some anti-Semitic remarks. He quoted Hitler. Well, that's not a I Hitler. Mean, right. You know what I mean? Like that's he been quoted. Debunked, though. Was it? That did not come from Hitler. Hitler did not say those words. I thought. I thought his post had a photo of him highlighting i don't know some hitler yeah. quote he thought it was hitler so oh, it really oh, doesn't oh. matter that it wasn't hitler that said right. that because he thought it was hitler How right i mean just yeah so just, dumb. whether you thought it was hitler or it was hitler quoting it or highlighting it or bringing it you know and shedding any type of pos positivity on that Right. You got to be an idiot. Exactly. Exactly. You bring up Hitler in any positive tone. Christ. It's a dumb what thing you, to do. Like, come on, dude. How stupid. Fucking like idiot. He walked back on it and apologized. He did. He did. And, I and think that's he, good. Yeah. I think he was interpreting. I, I don't know. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt in, in some ways and just say, you know, he, he was trying to say one thing and interpreted it another and it all came out in a big garbage pile <laughs> and uh you know then it went viral of course and, and again we, we already talked about social media and stuff but you got to be smarter than that and i saw that julian edelman came out who is apparently julian edelman is jewish mm -hmm. and said something oh. like hey you know i'll take you to the holocaust museum you take me to whatever museum is important to you and your culture and that's where things lie like, that's where things are going to get better. And that's where I think we are actually improving as a society. You know, this whole cancel culture is, we, we can't get anywhere with that. Like, yeah. we'll just cancel Deshaun Jackson. Like, fuck that. Yeah. People yeah. are going to say dumb shit. Yeah, people were, were, you know, 
rushing to bash him really quickly, just like they did with Drew Brees. It's a very similar situation. It's very similar. Yeah. Well, you said something, you know, wasn't probably the greatest thing to say, and then you owned it and you apologized for it. And I hope, you know, the owner of the Eagles is Jewish. So, right. Jeffrey Jeffrey Lurie, who actually has something coming out. I saw some movie or something that he, I don't know if he paid for, I don't know what his involvement in, but it's like an anti Hitler movie or like an anti, you know, fascism nazism type thing so well i I feel like if deshaun jackson can move forward and we can move forward like that's the way to go it was a dumb thing to say get better fix it and you'll be fine exactly let's get to know the coaches yeah so those are our slices which took a little bit longer than i expected but whatever it's important stuff so block one uh why don't you start with matt lafleur the head coach of the green bay packers tell us you know tell us a little bit about him yeah, well, uh, when I started doing the kind of the research for this podcast, you know, I was kind of like skeptical about like what I was going to learn and stuff about about these guys. So uh, I found out that I didn't really know much. And then as I started to kind of research and do some more um, picking around at things, I, I actually ended up learning some really interesting stuff about all of them. So the, the first thing I want to talk about with Matt, Matt LaFleur is um, kind of as a player. I mean, he was actually a player. I mean, he was a good athlete. You know, he's a Michigan guy a Midwest born and raised kind of guy. He ended up at Western Michigan first, where he was a uh, recruited as a receiver and a, and a quarterback. And then later on, he transferred from uh, Western Michigan over to uh, Saginaw Valley State, a division two school where he became the quarter, uh, starting quarterback for the, for the next two years. And, you know, you could look up the, the record books and stuff. I mean, he was a stud. Uh, quarterback there so he's if you look at the records and stuff he's you see Matt LaFleur he's he's about number three you know uh, when you look down all the different passing categories and stuff but he only played two years if he would have played the full four years he would have smashed uh, all those records because he was he threw for like 7,600 yards or something like that you know about 30 touchdowns a year so he was definite player uh, back in the day and consequently two of his uh, alumni were Jeff Janice and Ravel Martin former Packers yeah two two former Packers and you know, Ravel Martin's now a coach. We'll get into him a little bit later. But um, I thought that was pretty interesting that those two guys, when I was going through the records, I was like, holy shit, there's Janice. And Janice was like on top of all of the records. I mean, he's like number one in almost every receiving category at Saginaw Valley State. Did he? Did Lafleur throw to Janice or Martin? Either one? I don't, I don't think so. I think they they were off because Jan. Uh, oh LeFleur, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Those numbers. Yeah, Lafleur was there from 2000 to 2002. Oh, Christ, no. Then yeah. Janice was like 10. Yeah. <laughs> Unless he's yeah. thrown to him on the sidelines, the ball boy. Yeah. That, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense at all. But yeah, Lafleur was a player. And then he, I guess he briefly, you know, he, he, went from, he went from there and, you know, he was an associate for a little bit there, stayed on as an associate. And then um, he still had the itch to play. So he went off and tried his luck in the uh, indoor football league and went to Omaha uh, where he was, uh, they were the Omaha beef. Of course they were. Yeah. Mascot is the sirloins. So he became a, he became a sirloin. So what was the mask? What did the mascot look like? Was it a, just a big hunk of steak or something? I don't know. I don't know. Or was it a big cow running around? A big collar getting chased by someone with a a meat cleaver or something. But imagine what that would have been like. I mean, he's here's LaFleur, right? I mean, he he was pretty much a star quarterback in Division II, got done, you know, stayed on as as a a graduate assistant to to coach there, 
and still had the itch to play. I, I guess it was probably in between years, right? In between football seasons. And he was like, fuck it, I'm going to go try You know, I'm going to go play a little bit of indoor, fo- in, indoor ball. So he was a backup there. And, but he came in, I think it was during a playoff game. Okay. Something like that. But he threw like four touchdowns in the first half or something like that. He kind of lit it up on the one game he did play for the beef. It also right. says he played with the Billings Outlaws. Yeah. Then he went went up to, to, <laughs> to Billings, Montana. Montana. I mean, I, can you imagine what that must have been, that summer must have been like for him? Yeah. Leaving Michigan. and I mean, he came from rural upbringing anyway, probably a little bit. But going out to Omaha, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Becoming a sirloin. I've never paid attention to like where coaches played or what position they played, but I wonder like what what the percentage of coaches in the NFL played quarterback. Yeah, quite because a few. I, I, I bet because it's the offensive mind, right? Right, where but, you have to know what everybody is doing, which you know prepares you then for coaching. Like if I'm a defensive lineman, my job is yeah. to run really hard and fast into the guy in front of me and try to get him away from me so I can tackle guys. Like I, I mean, I'm not downplaying the the skill set of a defensive lineman but it doesn't have the you know you don't have to know as much as you yeah. do a quarterback so and then he went back and then he, he substituted high school he was a math substitute okay so it's kind of interesting the analytical mind you know yeah the math um, brain he ended up with the Shanahan family at some point, right? Because they always talk about it when the Packers play the 49ers. That- yeah, so after he, he had a couple of stints, uh, he, when he left there, he went to Central Michigan and Ashland University where he's an offensive coordinator. I was in Ohio. And then, and then he got his break in, with the Houston Texans. And, and that's where he ran in uh, cross paths with Kyle Shanahan. Um, and then the two of them, I guess, forged a pretty close relationship. That's kind of how, how the big breaks happen, right? In the coaching world of the – of professional sports period but you know you run into the right guys and you know the Shanahan's are a, a legacy uh, coaching family obviously so they became really close forged a close relationship they left there and uh, Shanahan's Mike Shanahan then was hired by the Redskins and then Kyle brought LaFleur over to be the quarterbacks coach in in, uh, in Washington that was pretty yeah. interesting too yeah and uh, at that time right I think that was 2010 2011 2012 yeah. right in there wasn't, didn't they draft two quarterbacks? Wasn't that when the Redskins has RG3 yeah, and, and, and Cousins. Kirk Cousins? Yeah, and Cousins. So he must know Cousins real, yeah, real close. Yeah, he know his tendencies, right? Yeah. should be like yeah. in Pet and Zero when they play the Vikings. Like, watch, right. he's, he's going to step back and throw this yeah. to the wrong team. Or then he took, a, then he took a, a step out of the NFL, went to, went to Notre Dame. So he six years in the NFL. Left and was a quarterbacks coach at Notre Dame. A strange jump. Yeah, I wonder why. Like, why would you go from the NFL? I mean, I, I, I guess I do know. I, get, I mean, if you want like stability in your life, you would you would have to think that it, he probably went to Notre Dame thinking if he could become the quarterbacks coach and move himself up the chain, would there be a shot at a head coaching position there? I mean, that's what I would think. And then maybe you know, for whatever reasons it just wasn't working out at, at Notre Dame. And then he, he got back into the NFL and just decided that that was going to be his path. So, Well, college coaching is a little more stable, yep. right? Like it's not as much of a win now. I mean, you have to win, but you can kind of – you win a couple bowl games or take your team to the top. You kind of survive the ebbs and flows, whereas, you know, if you're an NFL coach, you take a shit for two seasons and you're gone. Right. That's it. Yep. So I can understand why he'd go there. You know, the knock on LaFleur when he was when he was hired as the head coach was that he had never been a head coach before, right? That he yeah. had really never – I mean, he had been 
you know, like quarterbacks coach and, and that kind of thing. And he was an offensive coordinator at a tiny college, you know, yeah. in Ohio, but he really hadn't done a ton of work, you right. know, as an OC or whatever. That's usually how the jump is. Right. But then he got out of, he, he got back, the way he got back into the NFL again was Shanahan again. Oh, okay. So, Sh- so Shanahan was, you know, the offensive coordinator for the Falcons, brought LaFleur back as a quarterback coach. So they were uh, reunited once again back there after the after Atlanta. He went to the Rams, and that's where he that's where he kind of got his big jump. Okay. Um, so that that's where he took on an offensive. That's where he got a coordinator job, and I think that's kind of the big jump in the coaching hierarchy when you go from being a a backs coach or or a whatever into actual coordinator. That's like a huge jump, and that's where that's where he got it. And he worked under Sean McVay. So. Another offensive genius, right? Another offensive genius, and who they all work together at the Redskins. So oh, McVay, okay, Anahan, and Lafleur all worked for Mike Shanahan uh, at the Redskins organization. Wow, so, that was a yeah. great staff. How did they not win a Super Bowl? Yeah, now wow. all three of them are young coaches in the NFL. It's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. So he, then he went to the Titans, right? Wasn't he offensive yep. coordinator there, I think? And then he left yep. to, to become the Packer head coach. That was his body of work. That was his trajectory. I mean, he went from – I mean, he, he really uh, met the right people along the way, and I'm, I'm sure they were impressed by him, everybody. I mean, if you impress, you know, Mike Shanahan, and they're, they're going to sign off on you along your uh, coaching career, I mean, you've got a pretty good shot along the way. I mean, who wouldn't want a shot at the, at the Green Bay Packers head coaching position? Absolutely. And you know he was hired for his offensive mind, right? I mean, sure, yeah. When, when the McCarthy era ended, it was kind of like, eh, our offense is stale. We have Aaron Rodgers, and we can't seem to get over the hump and start winning Super Bowls. And they wanted to bring someone in that was offensive-minded, which I don't know. I, I wasn't super excited when they hired, him, hired LeFleur. I was like, okay. Me neither. I was like, I who is this? this <laughs> I had no idea who it was. And the thing was, he's so young. Is you know, Roger's going to run right over the top of him. But that doesn't hadn't seem to played out that way. No, not so far. I mean, what my first impressions of LeFleur was like when he was doing his pressers after camp. And he was, he was a bit chippy, man, you know, with, with the press. And I'm sure – you know, as NFL coaches, um, you know, they have some pretty long days, right? Especially, and that's probably like the very last thing they got to do before they get some time with themselves is to go sit in front of a room full of reporters and press asking the same old questions over and over. But man, I, I, I thought he did a good job there of just kind of like drawing a line in the sand and kind of marking his territory about like who he is and what he is and stuff with the press. But yeah, he came off a little chippy in the beginning well because he had had to answer that same question over and over and over again right like how many times are you going to ask me the same question in a different way yes i know my relationship with aaron Rodgers is going to be very important to our you know (laughs) to our season how many how many more ways can you ask me the same question there's like eight billion reasons why i'm not an nfl head coach and that's one of them because i'd be like are you fucking serious right now i literally answered this question a minute ago yeah can yep. I just record myself and then just play it into the microphone when you ask the same question again in a different way? Makes me- yeah, I thought he did a good – just think of the, the amount of responsibility and pressure that's on you. And it, he, he seemed to be pretty cool and level-headed about everything that was kind of coming his way. I didn't think that the head coaching thing was too big for him. 
I mean, he, I never felt oh. like he was flustered. Even during games, I didn't feel like we, pan, you know, like he panicked or had huge mistakes during games either. I thought he did a great job. And I think bringing Mike Pettin on was a great idea. I think even though Pettin was a head coach, you would think, mm, do I want as a young coach to bring on a guy who had just been a head coach as my defensive coordinator to maybe replace me? Like, you know, you you should at least think about that. But I yeah. thought it was a great idea to bring Pettin in. Pettin's Patton's relatively young still, and he's, you know, he's got a good defensive mind. Maybe we should jump and talk. Let's talk about Mike Pettin. We'll come back to offense later. Yeah, so let's, let's just transition to Mike Pettin, defensive coordinator. Block yeah, three. I learned a lot about Mike Pettin. He was uh, a born and raised uh, Pennsylvanian who, um, you know, came from a big family of football. His dad is like a, this legendary coach, high school football coach that he played under. I just finished watching, and I don't want to, you know, do a spoiler or anything, but just finished watching the season. It was from 1999, and it's uh, kind of the Friday Night Lights uh, documentary of Mike Pettin as a head football coach who ends up, you know, the kind of the the pinnacle of, of the film is is where he goes against his own dad, right? So it's 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 a cra- it's a crazy documentary, man, and it's you know it's Pettin's alma mater. Yeah, so he's coaching dad not only still, against his dad, but against his. But alma he's co- mater. coaching against his old alma mater, so it's um, it's a it's a pretty good look at who he is as a person and 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 how he co- what his coaching style is like. But they follow him around very intimately into the locker rooms around games and stuff. It's a really good documentary. It's called The Season. I'll definitely have to watch that. Yeah, it's 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 really neat. But yeah, he he kind of. Um, Interestingly enough, he played quarterback in high school, just like Lafleur, and now he's on the defensive side of the ball. But again, if you if you have to think through the game as a quarterback, you also have to understand defense, and it's you know it's also he was clearly a smart dude. Yeah, his style, man. He's in your face, shouting down kids. I mean, he's he's intense, man. I mean, he was he was a very boisterous style coach, Um, but great story. Um, And then he got his break. Um, you know, he he ended up getting a job with the with the Ravens. Got in with them, and I think it was 2001 as the uh, outside linebackers coach. And then he he, he became uh, Rex Rex Ryan's right hand man, and it got like a three year deal with with the Jets. So he he led them to like the number one defense in the NFL in 2009. You see how, and you talked about it before, how guys follow guys. Yeah. You know, like the Lafleur got his shot with Shanahan's, and the Ryans are another football royalty family. You know what I mean? So Pettin gets in with Rex Ryan, his dad coached, his brother's coach. So the Ryans have, you know, they have pull. Of course. You know, with the league. So Pettin, you know, latched on to the Ryans and then moved forward with that, right? And then impressed people. Yeah, I think in in, in order, it's not only just latching on, but impressing too, right? Right. These these guys, because they're, they're, you know, like you said, they're royalty. They're not going to keep you around or vouch for you unless they really believe in you. He was definitely uh, made some impressions along the way. Um, then after he left the Jets, after his contract expired, he was uh, in 2013. He was a defensive coordinator for the Bills, and that's where he and Nathaniel Hackett, who is now our offensive coordinator, uh, that's where they crossed paths. So okay. Hackett was the offensive coordinator of the Bills. They brought Pettin in as a defensive coordinator. So they've both coached. You know, they've coached together in the past. They've got some history and know each other pretty well. That was kind of an interesting little fact that I did not know. And then, of course, you know, when he got his his big jump was uh, in 2014 when he became the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, this is kind of where, you know, coaches are kind of on that do or die kind of pedestal where it's, you know, he finally gets his break. 
He's worked all these years. He's going to get a shot at a head coach, and it's the Browns. And you just got to go, oh, you know. Do I want but, this job? But every coach believes in themselves, right? Every coach believes in themselves. Like, I'm going to be the one to turn this organization around. No one in their, in their right mind is going to turn down a head coaching position, no matter if it's the Browns or not. Right. right. But you're going all in and it's either, you know. Right. And, and what uh, you can't tell when you go into a head coaching job is what the culture of the front office oh. is. You can talk to coaches and see, you know, like what the, the room and the locker room looks like and what the guys are like in it. But you, it's very difficult to tell what the owner is like, what the GM is like, like what those front office people are. And if their culture is sour, then it, you know, it permeates through the rest of the of the team and you end up with the Browns, you yeah. know, you end up with a mess where yeah. no one can coach that team to anything. I mean, yeah. you know, have they hired some guys that maybe shouldn't have been head coaches? I don't know. It's possible. But at the same time, if you keep losing year after year after year after year and you have all these coaches that come through, there's something bigger at play than just the, the guys that got fired. And he was fired on uh, 2016 along with the GM. I mean, that's kind of how organizations clean up, clean up house you know after being unsuccessful for a few seasons so but yeah he, that was that was the end of his head coaching uh, career and, and they started it, off pretty fast I, I, if I remember yeah. right like they were winning games under yeah. Petten and then it but, just all yeah. went to hell yeah but then they lost like the last five games of the season so they started out strong and then they finished terribly so which is what the Browns seem to do no matter who the head coach yeah. is and then the next year they went like three and 13 so that was kind of the end of it. And then yeah. in 2017, he, he was the uh, he was just a consultant for the Seahawks, which is kind of probably just kind of sitting in limbo waiting for the next job to come up. And boom, you know, in 2018, he got hired as the Packers defensive coordinator. And I wonder if the hiring of Mike Patton wasn't directly opposite of Dom Cape. Because right. Dom Caper seemed like you're like a super old man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that grandpa type, that, you know, that mentor type guy. And like you said before, Patton is fiery and oh yeah and serious oh yeah and he's you know i don't know if he's gonna jump in anybody's face in the nfl it's a little different coaching high school right. than it is of course yeah a professional like a grown-ass man who's like yeah. twice your size but i wonder if that wasn't you know part of it that they wanted somebody that was going to take over the room and make sure guys were doing their jobs because you know dom capers for whatever he did or didn't do he wasn't that kind of personality. Right. More of the creative genius type. You know what I mean? Like trying to, he, I mean, when he was in Pittsburgh and when he was in Green Bay, when they had players that could play that defense, that defense was crazy. Because right. he was doing weird shit that nobody, you know, could figure out. And he's set up in the box versus Pettens down on the, the field. field. Right. You know, he's he's down there in the trenches. Hands on. I'm happy that Mike Pettens around. I am too. I learned a lot about him. So, I you know, I was kind of critical of him, um, over, especially over like last season. But you know, it's kind of the, the way coaches are measured in the NFL are by wins, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and how and it doesn't mean that you're necessarily a bad coach. It's just things didn't work out. But people always label coaches without you know if they don't produce is that they're a bad coach. It's like well, right. they're not necessarily a bad coach. He he was he wasn't a, probably a bad coach in Cleveland. He was just in a bad organization, right? Bad situation so, for sure. All right, so let's move on. Offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. Yeah, as I mentioned, he and he and Petten kind of have a, a history together as coaching together. So it's kind of nice to see that the two coordinators are have some experience and have a, a previous relationship with one another. So, but Hackett too, uh, just like uh, very similar to to Petten, he comes from a big 
big, big football family. His dad, too, was also a legendary coach. Um, he coached like 42 seasons at all the different levels, uh, college and professional levels. There's ties to Pennsylvania, where Hackett's dad gave Mike McCarthy his first shot at the University of Pittsburgh. So oh, thought that interesting. was interesting too. Yeah, he started off with, um, started his career at UC Davis and at Stanford as an assistant coach. And then he worked his way into the, the pros. Um, he worked under Gruden actually as a quality coach. I don't, I'm not really sure what a quality coach does, but if you're trying to get in the NFL or in coaching. You take any position. Take, take whatever title they get. Whatever you, the right? title is, yeah. You know, working for oh. Chucky is probably – because have you ever seen, like, the quarterback stuff that Gruden did before he started coaching with the Raiders? How he would, like, no. bring in – I don't remember what the name of the show was, but he would bring in quarterbacks and he would, like, grill them on details. I don't remember what it was called. I can't imagine, though, coaching under Gruden and not knowing your shit. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Because he, would, he, he, wouldn't, yeah. he wouldn't tolerate it. Like Gruden yeah. was the one thing that he's famous for besides being a little bit fiery on the sidelines is being very detail oriented and doing the for job sure. long hours. So, you know, if Hackett came up in a coaching family, he saw what it was like with his dad, you know, just being in that room with his dad to be able to see the things that he was doing and then working under Gruden. I think that's a really high level pedigree that he has as well. Yeah. Even though I really you can, don't know who he is, honestly, before we start talking about him. But you can see the pattern here. Each one of these guys, LaFleur, Patton, and Hackett, you know, they all got – I mean, Gruden is a legendary coach himself, right? Mm -hmm. They all kind of, like, met the right people along the way and impressed them. You know, really kind of kicked off their entire uh, coaching career. In 2010, Hackett, he was um, went to the college ranks. He was a quarterback's coach at Syracuse under Doug Marone. And then he followed Marone to Buffalo and Jacksonville. Like, that's where uh, Hackett was promoted to offensive coordinator. So at the Buffalo organization. And that's where, obviously, he ran into um, Patton. But then in 2018, when things started to slide in Buffalo, Marone, who I, I assume Marone and um, Hackett must have been pretty close. Yeah, because right? if you move I mean, from Buffalo they, to Jacksonville. You kind of move as a, as, a, as a team together. You know what I mean? You're like coaching staff they must have had a pretty close relationship and then in 2018 marone actually fired hackett so that must have been that had um, to be a pretty uncomfortable uh well you know how that goes um yeah. if you are about to get fired but you're not fired you probably know it they say you need to fire your coaching staff okay we're not going to fire you head coach but you need to clean house and bring in someone new. Jacksonville went to the AFC Championship, didn't they? In like 2017 or something? I think so. And then they took a crap. Yeah. As you kind of move up the ranks a little bit and, the, and you know, you get into the right circles in the NFL coaching, I mean, it's all like, you know, when you start to construct your staff, you know, you have a pretty decent pool to pull from. And that's where LaFleur, you know, he hired Hackett uh, right out the gate, so – Offense finished 18th last year in the NFL. We've talked at length about how that needs to improve. So, I mean, I learned a lot about the guy. He was in Jacksonville. Weren't they a big defense and run the football team in Jacksonville 2017, 2018? Leonard Fournette's name comes oh, yeah. up in my mind from that time frame. I mean, it makes sense to hire a guy. If you're going to run the football and you're going to play action pass off of run action, that you bring in a guy who, as the offensive coordinator, who is going to run the football. Yeah. And it kind of seems to, to play together. So, yeah, those are, those are kind of the top dogs for, for LeFleur's staff. I mean, we're not going to get into – I don't think we're going to get into every single coach, but um, oh. 
there's a few others. I guess the, the last block is to mention, make mention of the different, some of the changes, the coaching changes that have happened since from last year, and then some of the, the new faces that have joined the staff. So Yeah, so block four will be our new faces, the guys that have you know, come in that are new. I think the biggest addition to the coaching staff is, is Jerry Gray, the defensive, no doubt. defensive back coach. The thing that I like really about Jerry Gray position coaches played in the league at some point, and Jerry Gray was a very good football player. He was like a, a pro <laughs> bowler for like four or five years in a row. Who'd he play with? I want to say he played with the Vikings. The thing that I like about him, Jerry Gray, is that they keep talking about how he was a teacher, how he is a great teacher of the game. Yeah. And when you look at the guys he has to work with, and minus Adrian Amos, they're all super young. And yeah. like, you know, Savage, Alexander, Jackson, Redmond, they're all young guys. So you need a guy back there that is teaching the game. Yeah, he's going to elevate that secondary. I'm really excited to see what he's going to do and bring to the table. But, like, what is it? His 33rd season? 34? Going on his 34th season in the NFL? Yeah, no, 33rd. 33rd season. Yeah. Played for nine seasons, and he coached for the last 23. So this is his 33rd season. Yeah, that's a huge sign-in. I mean, I'm glad he's around. They they can keep young guys, you know, learning and getting better. Yeah. Especially the talented guys that the Packers have back there. I think he's a huge, huge upgrade from what we had last year. I wonder if there's coaches that just, you know, when when the time comes to be promoted to something, they're like, nah, I'm good. Like, I, I like being a defensive backs coach. I wonder if they ever just kind of, like, turn it down. I don't know Could that be. they would. Could but be. maybe they just find their, their niche and what they're comfortable coaching, and that's what they want to stick with. And then the next person is um, – we, we mentioned previously a little bit on Ravel Martin. So he was uh, – you know, Lafleur established the Minority Coaching Fellowship, um, which is like this, you know, I guess year-long full-time position for young and aspiring minority coaches. So once again, Matt Lafleur leading from the front on diversity. It's good to see him back, and it's good to see that they've gone this direction of creating this coaching position. Yeah, I like the idea. When we were watching the draft, it was very, very apparent to me that there are very few coaches of color in the NFL. Yeah. And in a league that is primarily African-American, and I'm not, I don't want to, again, go way down this road, but I love that the Packers are doing a a fellowship like they are. Guys need the opportunity. I mean, LaFleur got his opportunity. He made the most of it with Shanahan and and that group. Patton did the same thing with the Ryans. You know, you can't get into it and move up the ladder if you don't have a starting spot. Right. So so to have this minority coaching fellowship, and I don't know what Ravel Martin is going to do. I would assume he's going to work with receivers at some point or at least on the offensive Uh, side. You would would think. Right, because he played the NFL as a receiver. But I think it's a great idea. I'm glad the Packers are doing it. I don't know. Is that a – everybody doing that? Is the NFL – like, is that a thing for every NFL team? I mean, it – from from what I from my research and from what I've read, it was Lafleur established this. Oh, that's the way it reads. So, awesome. okay, yeah, came from him. Nice. I guess there's ten of the twenty six coaches are African American on the Packers staff. Okay, so that's more than I would expect. Actually, I, I, I didn't right. realize that. So Jerry Gray, Ravel Martin. Um, Luke Getzey is the quarterback's coach. He's important. Those Absolutely. are kind of the guys that move. You know what I mean? Quarterback coaches end up being offensive coordinators. That's kind of the step, usually. You don't see a running back's coach end up as often. It's usually the quarterback's guy, the guy that works with the quarterback. Well, he's got his work cut out for him this year. So He does. 
he does have his work cut <laughs> you know, off for him. Imagine the pressure of being the uh, quarterbacks coach, and you're bringing in. Yes, that so, is a lot of pressure. I mean, not only do you have to work with one of the greatest lot. quarterbacks of all time, you have to right <laughs> to room next guy. Right. So Getsy, yeah, he's going to have a lot on his on his shoulders this year. It's not going to be like last year. This is a different year for him. And he's a former quarterback, so, Luke Getze. Pretty good. He's one, also right? like, I, I guess they, I guess um, LaFleur added passing game coordinator to his title. So I don't know okay. what that means. But <laughs> Whatever that means. It's just another title. Maybe that's the responsibility they take a little bit more out of Hackett's hands and place it into Getze's. Yeah, that's possible. Just to be specific, like this, just the passing game itself. That's interesting. Or maybe because you're coaching Aaron Rodgers, you need to have a specific coach to coach the passing coordination. I don't know. I have no Who knows? I don't think anyone would give you a straight reference, to be honest. Then there's Jason Vrabel. He was promoted from uh, the offensive assistant to the receivers coach. He also played quarterback, <laughs> Jason Vrabel. Yeah. I think that's the theme. You know, quarterbacks end up being coaches, probably because they think they can he be better coaches. He all kinds of records. He did. Vrabel had all kinds of records. He like, played at some little piss-ant school and was just amazing there, like threw for a million yards. Like at Ohio? Was that I don't like know Ohio where it was. I can't remember. Somewhere. I was looking at it before, but I just remember that he was also a quarterback because I started to try to, like, make – like, what's the, the common denominator between a lot of these guys? And I think that that's part of it. A lot of guys just play quarterback. And they all move around yep. a lot. Like, the coaching, the, the amount of times these guys move from team to team yeah. to team is amazing. It's a lot. Because there's, there's always vacancies, though. Right. So if you want to move up, you can't really sit in one spot with an organization too long because, well, the next tier for you to move up is with a different team. It's like, well... You got to go there if you're going to move up and, and get somewhere in the NFL. Yeah. It's funny how you just see how they like move from shit team to good team. Yeah. I mean, like they, yeah. they, they have to, to, to bide their time with the Browns or the Bills or the Jaguars or whatever. I have an athlete that I coached, a wrestler that I coached in high school who is, I don't know what his title is. He's like assistant strength coach in the NBA with the Memphis Grizzlies. But he was saying too that like they, like, he started with the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are off, right? right. Yeah. But you parlay that into, like, he was at Wyoming. He did an internship at, at the University of Wyoming. He got this job with the Grizzlies. He, he turned down an interview somewhere with another NBA team to move up the ladder because he didn't want to have that, I'm going to move from team to team to team to team to team. Like, he wants a little bit more consistency right. in his own life. Stability. Yeah, yeah. and stability. But he said the same thing. Like it's very, it's it varies on who the head coach is. The whole head coach leaves, everybody leaves, right? We, they, they have to. Yeah. They don't, mo- most guys don't right. get left stick behind around. and stick around. Right. They don't want to, right? Because then they're not the next coach, right. head coach's guy. So it's a dangerous thing. But it's you a, also have to worry about like how young or how old you are. Like that plays into it too. And it's not an easy life, right? It's a very selfish, self fulfilling kind of career where you got to have a really trying to have a family life at the same time is, is a huge challenge. I remember watching something about on with Gruden where he, I think it's like during the season or like when training camp starts or something like that. I can't remember, but he gets up at three, 3 a.m. That's when his day starts. 
3 a.m. And you can imagine what happens throughout that day, starting at 3 a.m. until God knows when, probably right. like 10 p.m. at night. I mean, that's how these guys are going all the time. I mean, I, I read something recently with Sean McVay where he's he's already mentioning burnout. He's only know? been the head coach for and like he's, five years. What, 30, 34? Yeah, he was the youngest something head like coach that? ever hired. He was barely 30 when they hired him. But it, it, I get it, it goes to show you that this it is, even for a young guy, right? It's probably like, holy shit, what I get myself into? Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, nuts. you look at all the head coaches, they get fat. They get, they get burned out. Oh, yeah. like their bodies go to shit because they spend so much time in a chair or in a meeting. Like they can't even eat right or do any exercising Film. or anything like that. It's a, that's that's a all they life. do. It is. But that's it. That's the coaching uh, get to know you show. It, it turned out better than I thought. I appreciate your effort on this one because I, I wasn't sure that we were, I, this was going to be great. It was kind of like one of those episodes where I was like, we talked a lot about players. We talked about the season. We talked a lot about a predictions but kind of the people who are left out of the uh, of the conversation are the coaches so i was like wow i kind of don't really know about them so i started thinking well do i really want to talk about something i don't really know about and i thought well fuck it i'll just go and start researching stuff and then and it actually started started turning out to be something pretty uh interesting so hopefully everyone else thinks so too right on you know what i didn't do now i'm going to do it right now is i'm going to say hello to our sponsors do it so even though it's the end of the show Thank you for all of you who have made it to the end of the show. Thanks to Dwight at DG, DDG Customs and uh, Andy at ThirdEyeGraphics.net. We do appreciate you. Um, so that's it for episode six. Uh, in episode seven, I think we're going to go over the Packers season, maybe game by game, maybe chunk by chunk, yeah. like sections of the season. We did go over you know, the other teams, the NFC North, so maybe it's time to look into the Packers, what we think they'll do for a record. That kind of yeah. thing. Maybe some games. Schedule. And a schedule. Schedule. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Go Paco. Go Paco. Go.